So we're very happy to have you all here at Sunday service. Especially we'd like to welcome those who are here for the first time, our guests and visitors. And we hope you enjoy the Sunday service. The topic this week, oh, and my name, I am Nayaswami Parvati, and this is Nayaswami Anandi. So we're very happy to share this service with you. I'll be reading from Rays of the One Light, which are weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita based on Paramahansa Yogananda's teachings and written by Swami Kriyananda. The topic for this week, Is God Present Even There Where There Is Ignorance? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. The Gospel of St. John, Chapter 1, makes a reference to the divine light that is obscure to the rational faculty, but that enlightens our higher nature. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Reason recoils from this statement with innumerable questions. What is this darkness? Is it conscious that it should comprehend anything? What sort of light would be capable of shining in darkness without transforming at least that part of the darkness in which it shines into light? Does this light shine only at night? And if so, why only then? (laughs) The solution is that to divine sight, even daylight seems darkness. The sun itself, like the moon, which shines only by reflected light from the sun, is but a kind of reflection of the cosmic light, which, being immaterial, is invisible to the eyes, but which is the great source of all material reality. In Autobiography of a Yogi, Paramhansa Yogananda describes his youthful visit to Ram Gopal Muzumdar, the sleepless saint, who lived in the vision of that hidden light. Around midnight, Yogananda wrote, Ram Gopal fell into silence, and I lay down on my blankets. Closing my eyes, I saw flashes of lightning. The vast space within me was a chamber of molten light. I opened my eyes and observed the same dazzling radiance. The room became a part of the infinite vault, which I beheld with interior vision. Why don't you go to sleep? Sir, how can I sleep in the presence of lightning blazing whether my eyes are shut or open? You are blessed to have this experience. The spiritual radiations are not easily seen. The saint added a few words of affection. This is the light that shineth in darkness. It has been described variously in the great scriptures. In the Bhagavad Gita, the 11th chapter, The devotee Arjuna is given an experience of the infinite state and exclaims in awe, If there should rise suddenly within the skies sunburst of a thousand suns, flooding earth with beams undeemed of, then might that Holy One's majesty and radiance dreamed of. Thus, through Holy Scripture, you have spoken to mankind. Oh, oh, oh. 
welcome everyone. I would like to welcome you and also our friends joining us on the internet. We'll begin with a reading from Whispers from Eternity, Prayers and Poems by Paramahansa Yogananda. Simple prayer. O divine friend, though the darkness of my ignorance be as old as the world, still make me realize that with the dawn of thy light, the darkness will vanish as though it had never been. Well, this is the third Sunday of the new year, and as Atman mentioned last Sunday, the beginning of the year, we kind of go back to creation, to the presence of God as light, to how it all happened. And interestingly, this is the third weekend that we've heard that quotation, the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. So this week we take it up, but as I was listening to this reading, I realized that I should have based my service on all the experiences that I've had like master of seeing that blazing inner light, <laughs> but... Um, I didn't think of that, so <laughs> I want to pick it up in a different way, a way that I hope will speak to you. Um, I've worked at the Expanding Light for many years, and I've heard many, many times from guests who've come here, oh, you're so lucky to live here. And I always say, yes, I know, I'm grateful for it every day, but part of me thinks they really don't even begin to know what it is. Because sometimes I feel people are thinking, oh, it's, it's so beautiful here. The air is clean. The nature is beautiful. The people are so harmonious. It must be just easy to live in a place like this without any challenges whatsoever. <laughs> and I think, no, it's actually because of the challenges that people here have faced individually and as a community and the inner dedication to facing those challenges with God's light that what they are that, that that's what they're really drawn to they don't even know it but that's really what's going on here there's a light and when you see light let's say you're walking along on a dark night and you see light in the distance and that light could be from electricity in a house, it could be from a star, but one way or the other, there's energy behind that light. It doesn't shine without energy. So that path is an upward journey of energy. They, um, in the, uh, many, many years ago, there was a woman who lived here. She had been a psychologist in Chicago before she came here. She lived here for just a couple of years. And I always enjoyed talking to her because she had such interesting insights. And one time she said to me, you know, um, I've talked to many people here, and especially the newer people, they all say how difficult the spiritual path is. And I look at them, and their eyes are shining with light, their face is radiating calmness, and I think, hmm. She said, in my practice in Chicago, I think about the people that I counseled young men in their 40s who were scrambling up the 
ladder, the corporate ladder, striving to be the head of their company, working for their second million dollars, and their 40-year-old faces were lined with care, and their hands were shaking with stress. And she said, now that is difficult. (laughs) Yeah, it's a different kind of difficult. When we're trying to change the world, when we're trying to get something, that does not awaken that light inside of us. But when we're working to conquer ourselves, that's when we find that light. And it is an uphill journey. Um, Think of it as a seesaw. On one side of the seesaw is a football player, and on the other side of the seesaw is a little baby. And the football player obviously is sitting on the ground, and the baby is up in the air. And that football player represents our involvement in material desire, our restlessness, all the parts of ourselves that are reaching out in a way of tension. And the little baby, when we start the spiritual path, that's our desire for that inner light that we know is there. And it's just so young and so light. And to get to it, we got to go uphill on that seesaw, don't we? And it's, it's a little bit slippery. <laughs> it's not that easy to get there. But as we make that journey to feed that inner quest, that inner light, the baby begins to bulk up, <laughs> to fill out, <laughs> to mature, to grow. And the football player, the commitment to our material life begins to thin down and lighten up. And they start to come more into balance. And the more that we feed that calling to the inner light, it actually becomes easier and easier to feel that and harder and harder to be drawn into that that greed for material desire that pulls us outwards. So even though it's an uphill battle, it's not an endlessly uphill battle. We just have to keep doing it until it becomes more of a downhill flow. In the Bhagavad Gita, which is the Bible of India, the whole scripture is based around the idea of a battle between light and darkness. The darkness is represented by uh, the forces of material desire. All the material desires, the head, the king, and all of his minions are helping him, making us look outward for our happiness. They're called the Kauravas. And on the other side, the forces of light are the chakras, the light within us. And what Yogananda called the occult warriors of light, the helpers of the chakras, the parts of ourselves that know that light is our nature. And so the battle begins. The rightful rulers of the kingdom of our body are the light is the light, the warriors of light. But the material desire, that part of ourselves that is so restlessly looking outward for our happiness outside, will not go down without a fight, will not let go of this kingdom without a fight. And so they come into battle. And the head of the material forces, the forces of darkness, is grandfather ego. The ego is the soul identified with this body. But the head of the forces of the Pandavas is Drishta Dumya. 
He is, he represents the calm inner light. And Drishtadumya was born specifically for the purpose of destroying one of the warriors of the Kauravas, Drona, who represents material habits. And this is the destiny of Drishtadumya, but he cannot do it as long as Drona has his weapons. As long as Drona is willing to, ready to fight, no one can kill him. So what Krishna does, Krishna represents God. He creates a little bit of a, a ruse, a scheme, a, a trick, and he gets Drona to lay down his weapons. And in that instant, Drishtadumya is able to behead him and kill him. So this inner light has power, but it's the grace of God that opens up the way for us to change and to grow and to express that light. That grace of God is drawn to us by what we do, by our reaching for it. A friend of mine was sharing with Swami Kriyananda that she had a mental obstacle she was facing. And she said, sir, I've done everything I can do. I've meditated. I've prayed. I affirm. I chant. I've put all kinds of energy into releasing me from this habit, this, this tendency. I can't shake it. And he just said, it's grace. It's eventually what will free you from that is grace. But all that she was doing, calling on that through her meditation and her service and her devotion, that opens the way for that grace. And then the inner light that is her nature, that is our nature, will triumph. But we have to work in cooperation with that. One of the... I don't know why I've always just particularly loved this example that Master gave. It's, um, he said that A and B were fighting. Now, if you find this offensive, it's a fist fight. You have to realize it's an allegory. It's an allegory. A and B were fighting, and they were fighting with their fists, and they were both getting exhausted. They were fighting so hard, and, and they could barely lift their arms to fight. And finally... B said, I just can't do one more thing, and he gave up. And at that same moment, A thought, I just can't do one more, but just one more punch. And it was at that moment that B had quit, that A was able to give the punch that finished him. So this is the allegory for our journey. We each have these internal battles, these habits, these obstacles that we're facing and we think how much longer I mean I've given this everything I've got how much longer is this going to be here but we never know when the grace of God is going to release that karma when B is going to get exhausted when that karmic test that you have is going to say it's over now and that final burst of energy is going to finish that off So we want to keep putting out that, reaching for that light, and not judging what we think is happening. We don't know. Ananda Moyama gave a beautiful example. She said, you have a tree, 
that's not doing well, just focus on watering the tree. Don't worry about the leaves. Just keep feeding nutrients and water into the roots. And lo and behold, the old leaves will drop off. Fresh green leaves will sprout. We don't know what we have ahead of us. We don't know what this karma will be, but we don't have to worry about that. We just have to keep feeding what we do know, calling on God, meditating, praying, offering our lives into this attunement. And don't worry about the rest of it. We just don't know how that's going to happen. I read a, something beautiful yesterday. It was um, written by a yogi that I've never heard of before. But he said, imagine the amazement of a poor blind man who's digging in the dustbin and he comes across a perfect pearl. He said, such is the amazement I feel when I experience the miracle of the inner light within me. Isn't that a wonderful image, thinking about yourself going out to meditation with the little dustbin of your consciousness. And there you are, rooting around in the dustbin, doing your techniques, doing your techniques, and suddenly the pearl, the light that you couldn't have imagined when you started, but when you feel it, it's a miracle. It happens, it lifts your consciousness, you connect with who you really are. That pearl is not separate from you in our case. That, that pearl is the light of superconsciousness that is us. And that is the light that will bring answers to everything. Sometimes here in classes I do an exercise with people and we bring to mind a problem. And then I say, okay, let's just take a pencil and paper and I just want you to write down all your resistances to this problem. Your sub, what does your subconscious think when it hears about it? Oh, no, I have to do that. Oh, no, I couldn't possibly do that. Just write down. No one will see this but you. Just write that down, all that uh, subconscious resistance. And then we pick it up and we think, okay, what does your logical mind say? How can you handle this problem? And they write down all the logical answers to it. And then we do some exercises, some of our exercises here that we do bringing energy into the body, using the breath, using the Hong Sa technique, and bringing our mind to the spiritual eye, and we point ourselves in the direction of that inner pearl. We point ourselves toward that superconscious light, and we try to open to it. We try to be in it. And then we try to take that same problem and hold it up into that light. And it's quite surprising what can happen. It's not at all like the answers from the subconscious. It's not at all even like the logical mind. It picks it up on a whole other level. This, is, this light is where solutions come from. This is where the, the bridge over the, the turmoil, tumultuous rivers of life, this is where it can be found, is in that inner light. <coughs> I recently read... Actually, I don't know why, but I just love this. This is, um, this is actually something that was written by Thomas Merton, who was a 
uh, contemplative. He was a, a Trappist monk, a Catholic, who uh, later became um, interested in Eastern religions and Zen meditation and so on. But this is so um, poignant and so true. My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think, <clears throat> and the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. I will not fear, for you are ever with me and will never leave me to face my perils alone. Master said something differently, that he said, if you work with the consciousness of, of wanting to please God, in that service, you are already connected to him. So we each have karma. And this I, d I doubt that this was written on the beginning of his spiritual journey. I bet it was written well into his spiritual journey. This realization, the beginning of the spiritual journey, you think you know where you're going. <laughs> After a while, you realize, no, I have no idea what's happening here. So... But, but trusting that I really, I don't really know what's happening here, but if I am giving it my all and trying to do it for God, I trust that you are leading this process. We each have our karma, and karma is not something that gets kind of conquered in a few years. It keeps... Uh, keeps arising again and again in different forms and sometimes more challenging than the last time or perhaps always more challenging than the last time. And so we don't know about that. They have a, a word in India. Karma is the result of your actions. Um, we put out a certain kind of action and that action, it, it's the initiation of a circle and that energy initially inevitably comes back to us. And whether it's good, whether it's bad, it's all going to be coming back to us. There's an interesting word in uh, the Indian teachings. It's called prarabdha, prarabdha karma. And what that says is that's the karma that your soul has asked for in this lifetime. This is what you must do. And it's said that prarabdha karma is like an arrow shot from a bow. It's already been unleashed. It will have to land. That karma was initiated when you took this lifetime. It's, it's here. There's no way around it. But how are we going to face it? How are we going to deal with it? That is the question. We, um, in our household, we have a little drawing that we kind of, get a kick out of. Actually, I think Bharat gets more of a kick out of it than I do, but it's uh, John Muir, who is a great naturalist, uh, and his wife took a trip to Yosemite, and when a, a backpacking trip, I guess, or hiking trip, and when they came home, he was telling their daughters about the trip, and he was drawing them little drawings of the trip, 
And one of the drawings he made of the trip was of the wife at, in front and John Muir behind her with a stick poking her in the back. <laughs> Here's your mother and I climbing this hill. And it's sort of adorable, <laughs> sort of relevant, but it's, it's also... It's also relevant to this idea of karma, because karma is really not um, out to get us. Karma is the prod in our back saying, okay, don't rest. <laughs> you can't rest because this is too hard. You have to push. You're going to have to go with this. You're going to have to keep moving upward because you have this karmic test pushing you from behind. So how are we going to do that? We have to start by saying, if it's coming to us in our life, it comes from God. Plain and simple. Doesn't matter how trivial it is. Doesn't matter how complicated it is. It's still coming from God. Why? To help us. Not for any other reason. So the karma may seem awful. It may seem impossible. It may seem way unfair. But it's meant to help us become who we can be, that we're meant to be divine. We're meant to remember that we're divine, and that means we're going to have to get a lot stronger. And that's what that karma is helping us to do. So how do we want to face it? Obviously, we want to receive it with gratitude. We want to look for the light hiding within that. We want to look for the doorway in that toward freedom, how can I cooperate with that in a way that helps me? A friend of mine in the early years of Ananda was very memorable. I remembered it for decades. She, um, somebody was writing her a letter accusing her of something that she hadn't done. They were very mad at her. She had done nothing. But this person was upset with her. And I was very new on the path. I said, what did you do? She said, I apologized. I said, apologize, but you didn't do anything. She said, I'm here to become free. I want to be free. That's how she got free. I go with the door toward freedom. I don't look for logic. I don't look for fairness. I look for freedom. And that's where the light is coming from. That's where the light is within us. So whatever is happening... God is there with us. There's a beautiful story um, of a saint who lived in Puri. This saint was very devoted to Lord Hari. And this saint had the Parabta karma to have a dysentery, chronic dysentery in this life. And it was terrible, and he was very weak and helpless. And Lord Hari thought... My beloved devotee, what can I do? If I remove this karma from him, he's going to have to come back in another life and deal with it. I, that's a terrible thought. He'll have to deal with it in this life. I will be his servant. I will myself be the one who takes care of him during this illness. And so through the man's servant, Hari was the slave of his disciple. That love is there. So we don't know who that 
person is, who that, uh, what that circumstance is that is the magical way that our guru, that divine mother is saying, okay, you've got to do this. I'm sorry. It's just what you've got to do. But I'm going to be there, and I'm going to be there helping you in that. So we want to receive that. We want to open ourselves to that. This light that is within us all the time, we want to be looking for that. Master tells us that when we're involved in darkness, we can never we can never find happiness. But if we can bring ourselves into that light, darkness doesn't mean evil. It just means looking for our happiness outside. But if we can bring ourselves into that inner light, look for that through our meditation. If meditation is difficult, through our chanting. Chanting is difficult through our prayers, just through our longing. I was having a meditation the other day, and my mind was talking, talking, and talking. It had so many things to say. <laughs> and I'm doing, trying to do my techniques, and finally I just got quiet, and I said, all I want is you. And I just, let's just slide under the technique, slide under the thought, use your devotion, and just say, let's just be here. It's just you and me. The thoughts are up here. Let's stay quiet. Let's stay connected. Let's find that divine no matter what is going on. Find that inside of you. Master said, if you do this, if you look for that light through your sadhana, through your service, through your, especially through your love, he said, one day when you least expect it, you're reaching up one hand to God and God will reach down two hands to you and lift you up. He said, because God wants you more. They were very mad at her. Something that she hadn't done. They wrote her a letter accusing her of something. And very devoted to Lord. This saint was very lived in Puri. Who lived 